Hello, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Chronicles podcast, where I interview a virtual CISO about their work and life. I am your host, Caroline McCaffrey, one of the co-founders of ClearOps, which provides software to virtual CISOs that helps them grow and scale their businesses. As experts in this field, we have met hundreds of security consultants, and we keep our fingers on the pulse of the industry. My background is in law with a focus on data privacy and cybersecurity, but I also have a long career working with startups. In fact, my parents had their own business, which is why I love learning about how people build businesses. So I started this podcast to feature interesting people in cybersecurity to talk about their passions, entrepreneurship, and business. If you don't know what a virtual CISO is, then these professionals are security experts who offer consulting services to companies. Sometimes they're referred to as fractional CISOs. Our guest today is Carl Bjorki. Thank you for joining me, Carl, and welcome to the podcast. I am very happy to be here and great pronunciation, by the way. <laughs> I try. You know, I have this uh, this difficulty with pronunciation because I was raised in the South, born in England with English parents and live in the Northeast. But um, hey, anyway, it's life. Yeah. <laughs> tell, please tell the audience a little bit about yourself and please include something that isn't security related. Sure. So uh, I guess first and foremost, uh, I am a, a lover and believer in technology, right? So that's how I kind of got into the space in the first place. I think one of the things that uh, uh, I'm really passionate about is not just seeing the, the pros in technology, but there's always two sides to every coin. And certainly when we look at uh, software and applications of how we expect things to be used and what the actual rea- reality of that is, sometimes they're a little bit different. And so I, I just try really try to take a holistic approach to the pros and cons. Uh, it's very easy to get caught up in the hype, but we need to have some basis for reality uh, as there are always two sides. In terms of interesting stuff about me, um, you know, I, it, it took me a while to find my path in life is a nice way of saying, uh, saying it, I guess. Um, but uh, I am really optimistic about uh, the future. I, I and, you know, I recognize that uh, a lot of the things we see on LinkedIn are kind of potentially, hey, this is going to be our dystopian future if we buy into this technology and that technology. And, and those are certainly possible outcomes. But, you know, I still believe in people. And uh, as long as we maintain control over our technology, and we don't allow our technology to control us. I think we're going to be in a good spot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, I think recently particularly people have been talking a lot about chat gpt and i know my kids school is talking about it quite a bit and that that technology is a is i think a lot of people see it as a giant leap forward and also a potential dystopian future <laughs> yeah absolutely and you know it has such huge implications for our economy when we think about the best uh, really the 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 best career choice and the best careers that people have they're really knowledge based knowledge based right so we pay uh, doctors, lots and lots of money because they've been going to school for a very long time. The same can be uh, said for attorneys. And those are the industries that, frankly, are the most ripe for disruption with this, uh, you know, uh, not just the AI approach, but the, the way that data is, is managed and analyzed and we make projections from that. And so, uh, again, there's two sides to everything. I'm not saying that, you know, we should put the, put the stops on stuff, but we do need to be uh, aware of some of the implications here where, Hey, if our primary concern is that uh, kids are going to use uh, AI to create term papers, I think we're hugely being misled. The challenge is far greater for the parents that have jobs that create content and are knowledge based. And so, again, I, I just uh, 
I, I remain an optimist. We just need to be realistic about it. And, and yeah, there's been some really, really big things happening here lately. And all that I would encourage people to do is to have uh, a, a very honest conversation about what the potential effects are of this. Uh, again, everything is built with the best of intentions. My primary concern related to it, frankly, is Google had shelved their project. They were scared that if it got out into the wild, there would be some, some things that uh, they would not be able to control. And the minute something launches, next thing you know, Microsoft is swooping them up. They're embedding it almost overnight. Uh, Google launches their tool literally almost overnight. And so I, I almost feel like it's an arms race and we just yeah. need to be a little bit uh, more cautious, I would say. I completely agree. But I want to pivot a little bit more to your background. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about how, you know, what 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 jobs you've had in the past and how you got to cybersecurity. Sure. So I've really always been uh, on the sales or the revenue side of the equation, I, uh, I guess. So, uh, you know, my my primary experience is working with uh, reseller partners, managed service providers, uh, end users, really helping them ask the right questions to make sure that the technology that they eventually purchase is the right technology. And, uh, you know, I think that foundation of really wanting to make sure that um, we educate people to so that they can be better consumers of technology is really important. And so, again, uh, you know, my, my life, I talked to managed service providers uh, throughout the entire country. I talked to value added resellers and I talked to lots and lots of end users, too. And so, uh, you know, it's uh, my my. My history, I would say, is one of um, really making sure that uh, people that are looking to consume technology are aware of the right questions to ask. You know, it's not just in the cybersecurity space, which obviously is hot. Everybody talks about it. You know, compliance is a growing, uh, is a hugely growing need for uh, companies of all shapes and sizes. And, and the big concern for everybody when we look at new technology is how do I know I'm picking the right one? Nobody yeah. wants to pick a horse and then have to trade it in three years later, right? And I think that's one of the things that really has helped the, the SaaS business is that those technologies, you're really subscribing to it and the products evolve over time and you have access to that instead of these uh, you know, wholesale changes that people make on the technology side, which can be very, very disruptive. Uh, certainly in the cybersecurity space, it's not just a question about picking a good solution, only you now need to integrate that into your organization from a support perspective, from a management perspective. And very often companies make big technology decisions uh, where they purchase lots of expensive stuff, but they need to follow up with the knowledge piece to make sure that their people are appropriately trained that the technology is appropriately onboarded and integrated. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a little bit on the bias side of, of technology and software helping people do their jobs, but, when you talk about helping individuals make a decision, one of the things I, I read recently, um, and this is specific for some of my own personal sales training, is that today, um, you know, the sales tactic of FOMO is is no longer a good tactic. And that mm -hmm. really another tactic that is quite prevalent right now is that people aren't fearing of messing missing out. The fear these days is messing up. Yes. And so there, most people would rather do the status quo rather than buy a piece of technology to your point that, yeah. you know, they may not well, have the family for the, yeah. Yeah. And that, which is old is new again. Right. I mean, back mm -hmm. when I was, uh, wore a younger man's shoes, as I said, that, you know, the saying was, you know, nobody ever gets fired for buying IBM. 
right? <laughs> and, yeah. and then we got into this really disruptive business uh, marketplace where lots of technologies were being released very quickly. Companies are, are they're cycling through different technologies to try and find the right one. And so we kind of had the opposite approach. And now we're kind of coming back to that, uh, uh, that prior situation where it's like, hey, we got to stick with what works. The challenge with that, frankly, is that just because it used to work doesn't mean it works now. Right. Right. And, and mm-hmm. that can be said of, of sales models entirely too. You know, you know, to use a, an example that everybody knows, when you went and first got your first cell phone, if you're around my age, there were a lot of things that you had to decide, but didn't really have a base of information to decide from. So it's like, okay, well, here's our 17 plans. They include nights and weekends. Some of them include text. Nights start early. You can pay extra for that. Weekends start then. You can text within your network. Don't ever think about calling Canada on this plan. On this one, you can call Canada all you want. And that's really that old kind of enterprise approach where it's like, hey, we're going to put together this really customized solution for you. But that doesn't work at low dollar value deals. And so what do all the cell phone carriers do now? Well, it's unlimited. Okay. And how they define unlimited is a little bit different. You know, it's like maybe they cap your data mm-hmm. speeds or something, but functionally it's a much better model because they realize that those sales need to be really transaction-based. And so when you're selling uh, things that are, you know, potentially on a lower cost per seat basis, it needs to be, uh, you need to remove all the friction in that transaction. The old approach still works for enterprise. Uh, where you're putting together, you know, really, really customized. I can spend a lot of cycles on something that's going to cost a million and a half dollars. If we're working with an end user through an MSP and something's being sold for, and you know, and Endpoint is a great example. Cybersecurity is a great example. Those solutions aren't particularly expensive on a a per user basis. Okay, so we need to have a model that's very transactional that allows the companies that are consuming that to very quickly understand how much this is going to cost from a consumption basis. And I think that's, really one of the things that's driving SaaS in general and really kind of changing that sales process a little bit. Yep. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. You know, I think, I think you should tell the listeners what you're doing currently. Cause I think it will add some context to this discussion. Yeah. So um, I, I'm focused on cybersecurity uh, as, as part of what I do. The other part, frankly, is uh, I would call the more up and coming market for uh uh, the compliance need side of things, right? So mm-hmm. in the compliance space, there's lots of good solutions. They're tailored for enterprise because enterprise is always invested in compliance. Yep. Uh, but the market that's opening up for that now is really the uh, S, uh, the, the small and medium-sized businesses. They have those same compliance needs, but they can't consume those types of compliance projects in the same way. And so they're actively looking for help to do that. Uh, and uh, to be very blunt, I think the managed service providers are the ideal go-to-market for that because they already have technology relationships in place. They just need a solution set that works for the way that they want to want to bill and consume. Okay, understood. So, so when you're talking about managed service providers have the technology tools, but they need to they're they are adding on more of the uh, advisories. Portion. Yeah, it, exactly. And so, you know, when we think about uh, BC cell services specifically, right, mm-hmm. uh, lots of companies um, offer that as a service and as well they should because there's a, a lot of experience that's required. But when we allow those CISOs or VCSOs to leverage a more powerful tool set uh, that aggregates the relevant information for them that maybe gives, you know, the various dashboards that we can talk about where they have 
you know, uh, not just a, a point in time status, but they can see behavior over time that makes a big difference. And so mm-hmm. we can provide a tool set to, to people in those seats that are doing that VC so work where instead of spending eight hours on a particular analysis, they have the right tool set in place. They can deliver that same hours worth of va- eight hours worth of value in 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're singing the same tune on that one. Um, yep. It's, it is a fascinating area in terms of what you were talking about where compliance is going right now. Lots of software out there for compliance. I can remember five years ago where compliance was kind of still a bad word, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and now it's it's almost incredibly popular. What do you think about the the for lack of a better way of saying it, the race to SOC 2 that's been prevalent over the last few well, years? Well, I, I, I think part of it is even if we take some of the, the specific frameworks out of it. It's really the race to be a better vendor and a better client to a large degree. And I think we can all recognize that the way we drive behavior is not by studying for the test the night before the test, like project work. The way yeah. we really drive it is through operationalizing things. And so a big part of, of what I really try to carry the torch for is let's think about why these frameworks exist in the first place. And let's put into place uh, a method and a solution that allows us to operationalize that so that we're not freaking out when the auditor is going to come. It doesn't have to be scheduled. When I worked in backup in DR, people would want to schedule their disaster recovery test all the time with their vendor. Mm-hmm. To which my question would be, why would you let them know? Why would you let your vendor know that you're scheduling a test that's no longer a test? Right? They're going to put all their best people on it. They're going to be ready to go. So yeah. I can, you can make anything look good if you're given enough notice, but that's not the reality of a test. And so I think the things that are really driving compliance and whether it's a bad word or not, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether I like taxes or not, I still got to pay. It's, it's, right. it's the price of right. admission. And I think companies are just getting very wise to the fact that my reputation is on the line if I'm not vetting my vendors because it's a security risk just as a function of the software supply chain. Uh, I think... The other part uh, of that, frankly, is that the government is getting very wise to the fact that we need to make sure that companies are operating in a way that um, is within a regulated framework. Mm -hmm. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're all pro-regulation, but gravity is gravity, right? And so when the solar winds, we'll call it more of a discovery than a hack happened where bad code had had been basically uh, authorized and put in their software stack, that's a problem and it's a huge one and it opens everybody's eyes to some of the uh, the risk that we didn't really acknowledge or recognize it existed and so again the, the point of compliance in general isn't to be a burden it's to deliver your service your product in a safe and reliable way that protects your customers and your investors that's not yeah, that's I- not a bad thing no, it's definitely not a bad thing. And I can tell by the way that you're talking that you have these conversations often. And I, you know, I've talked to a few uh, virtual CISOs at this point who are running businesses and and I often ask them the question, what is the hardest part about starting your own consulting business? And nine times out of 10, it's sales. And you, as someone who is focused on revenue and you talk to customers every single day, what would, what sort of advice would you give listeners when it comes to you know, revenue, yeah. generating revenue for their businesses? 
So number one, it doesn't matter how good your team is, your solution is. None of those things matter if it's not putting money in the account. All businesses exist for profit, right? Mm-hmm. And so I would say the number one thing that I would encourage people to think about is we have discipline in so many parts of our lives, right? If you're building a house, you have a plan on how to build that house and you've got milestones and X, Y, and Z. Same thing when you're developing software. A lot of people want to think of sales that, oh, you know, I'm just not a very good salesperson. Okay, why? And because uh, I'll tell you, the, the secret to sales more than anything is the greediness to do what you know you need to do to track that and then to pass or fail yourself on a daily basis. You know, sales is, is, is not, it's, it's art and science, but it, like everything else in your life, needs to be managed. And the best thing that people can do is define metrics for themselves and for their team that are important. In my particular case, I measure myself every single day. And in terms of my performance is either pass or fail and fails are not acceptable. And those are driven exclusively by, by behaviors, right? The things that I can control. Um, I'm old school and I'm not saying I don't believe in LinkedIn marketing or email marketing. Of course, I believe in those things. You know, they're, they're relatively low cost, relatively low effort, very wide reach. Mm-hmm. But I think people really need to acknowledge the fact that when you're looking to grow your business, you need to be talking to people. You need to be uh, evangelizing for you, for you and your for, for your solutions that nobody can will go and buy it if they don't know it exists. That's so true. I mean, it's it's so easy to fall into the trap of oh, I'll just throw up a website and then people will come. Right? If I build it, they'll right. come. It's kind of, yeah. And oh, you're very diligent about tracking stuff in a spreadsheet. And you you know, everybody wants to optimize and tweak their software. That's fantastic. That's not putting money in your wallet. You know, there's the, one of my favorite sayings is uh, perfection is the enemy of the good. This is not about having the perfect product or or the perfect solution. It's about having one that's, that's frankly good enough, like a minimally viable product to a large degree where you can go and you can go and get those uh, you know, we'll call them beta customers, potentially even alpha customers, where you get some meaningful feedback from the people that are using your tool set before things are too locked in. Mm-hmm. So you can make changes to that platform. Um, and that does a couple things for you. Number one is it allows you to build a great relationship with those partners, which really end up being technology advisors to a certain degree, because our impression of how it's used is sometimes different, right? And if you think mm-hmm. of any tool, <laughs> there's, uh, 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 I read it and I, I thought it was great. It's like, um, Every tool is a, every tool can be a hammer, except for the, chi- uh, except for the chisel. That's a screwdriver, right? <laughs> and so it's like people use tools inappropriately all the time. Yeah. And, and again, so much of what uh, we really want to do with technology is make people's lives easier, but that's always based on assumptions because we're all, you know, we can do all the focus groups we want. What we really need is we need a way for our, the people that invest in us, that purchase our service, that purchase our technology, to how, have a loud voice so that the, the, we fine tune our, our tool set to the actual needs of people that are using it, that are not hypothetical. These are real people. We can pick up the phone and we can talk to them. And, and I think that the other part of that that is hugely important is executives need to be directly involved with customers. You know, every organization, yeah. when we push feedback up a level, the message gets muted. And by the time it gets to CEO, everything's fine. And so I think one of the best things that executives in general can do is not with one of their salespeople, literally just as an individual, pick up the phone and call your biggest customer and don't talk to the CEO, 
speak to the guy who's using the solution set and don't even tell him who you are. He doesn't have to know your fancy title. Just, hey, I'm calling from ClearOps. I'd like to get an idea of how you're using our products, pros and cons. Can I ask you for 15 minutes, even though I'm being selfish to do that? And people will say yes, and then they will light you on fire, basically. But -hmm. that's meaningful information for executives to have to make the right decisions. I mean, 100%. So, but, but there's very different sales tactics, I would guess, between mm-hmm. selling software and selling your own services, right? Like I'm a lawyer. I have for two decades learned how to sell myself yep. as an attorney. And that's very different. I have learned now <laughs> yep. from selling software. So uh, how do I, you, how would you advise? Well, so, so my expertise is really on the selling software, hardware and services side, not uh, not my uh, uh, not my capabilities on an hourly basis, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And so the, the motion is different um, for a lot of different reasons. And one of those, frankly, is that when we think about software or, or whether it's on-premise or, uh, or in the cloud or SaaS-based or whatever, it's really, in a lot of cases, you're all, well, number one, you're always competing. There's very few solutions where it's totally green, uh, greenfield or blue ocean, whatever term you want to use, where there is not a, a legacy solution in place, right? Yes. So I think that if, if you are selling a piece of software that competes against something else, you need, management needs to have a realistic expectation of what that sales process looks like, okay? Yep. Mm-hmm. Because I might know 100 people that will take a meeting with me that are great candidates for my solution set. That doesn't mean they're going to do it because the solutions that they've purchased, they've already trained on them. They've already amortized them. Right. And the devil, you know, is better than the devil. You don't. And and I've been part of a lot of sales call where the, the user will basically tell you, Hey, look, your solution is superior, but, and here's the but the cost of change is too high. And it's not the cost of buying the solution, it's the cost of integrating that solution into your stack and replacing the old one yeah. because they are so embedded and so, so invasive. And so, and I say that because a big part of, of the sales is people gotta, they gotta know what you do and they gotta wanna work with you, right? And so a big part of that is you have to cast a very broad net, which is why this activity metric is so important. So that when that existing vendor stubs their toe in some way or fails catastrophically in a worst case scenario, there's no doubt about who they're calling next. It's, it's fascinating. I mean, I could talk about this with you for forever, but instead I'm going to ask you one more question because we're coming close to the end here, which yeah. is a question I like to ask everybody. What trends are you predicting in cybersecurity specifically in 2023? So automation is obviously one thing that everybody talks about in in every aspect. Um, And I think more and more of that automation, and you see it in in a lot of advanced tools now, right? It's like the software. Every cybersecurity company that's selling a piece of software, whether they actually do it or not, they say they got some AI. I think that's a fact, right? But the reason we everybody says that is we think of this AI, AI as a very positive thing. But when you talk to the scientists, most of the time, they don't really know how that AI works. It's all black box computing, and it's pretty scary stuff, actually. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I would say part of it is, yes, there's going to be a trend for more and more automation, more and more, um, quote, unquote, AI that is based on black box 
computing. And what I would say is for all the people that are in that space, let's not detract from that, detract from the value of our expertise. Frankly, I think it, be, it becomes more important as we look to automate because that automation is based on some data set. And we need to have a better understanding of, of the data that's going into that so that we can actually um, verify that the output is what we expect. Right. right? And one of the problems we talked about, you know, chat uh, earlier, one of the problems is you can ask it to write an article about anything, but unless you have a baseline understanding of that topic, you have no idea whether it's correct or not. And we shouldn't take those things on faith. And the same is true for cybersecurity. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Well, thank you so much, Carl, for your time. Can you please let listeners know how they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So pre preferred for me is LinkedIn, actually. That'll get me. Uh, it's just C Bjerke, C B J E R K E. I literally, for better or worse, look just like this in my LinkedIn picture. Okay, so I'm relatively <laughs> easy to find. Uh, and of course, if people want to talk, it's 603 uh, Awesome. Thanks again for joining us. And if you're listening, you can find all of our blogs in this podcast on our Substack at the Security Expert Marketplace. So thanks again, Carl. It was awesome talking to you. Thank you.